You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us so much. We just praise you, dear Lord. These songs lift up Jesus. And dear Lord, I know that we may not match the average college football game. I doubt any church in America may. But dear Lord, there'll come a day when the redeemed of the Lord will say so. There comes a day, dear Lord, when the clouds will part and government leaders will fall on their knees and cry out, He is Lord of all. There are a day when every, every world leader, every religious leader, every world religion will one day say, Jesus, He is Lord. There'll be a worship service that will, it will cause every college, every professional sport to pale in comparison. Multitudes from the graves will rise up. Great men and women, Elijah and Moses, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Isaiah, Hosea, Malachi, James and John, Peter. They will all rise up along with us and they will cry out, Jesus is Lord, behold, the Lamb of, the, of God that washes away the sins of the world. And Lord, we pray, dear Lord, as we focus and put our mind and our hearts and our eyes on you that the problems that we face in this life will just simply drift to the background and that we would see Jesus. Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to anoint your messenger. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll anoint every heart here Make us receptive, dear Lord, to your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to slip over here and steal Steve's chair since I've got a great cough and that'll give me something to put that bottle of water on. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. So if you'll go over into the New Testament there, and we're going to be looking today at 2 Corinthians, beginning at chapter 1, verse 1. We've been talking about storms and how storms come in our lives and basically what God is trying to do when we are in the middle of a storm. Last week we talked about, we talked about our personality and we talked about how a lot of times in our personality, our thought is, is that it appears to be that personality is kind of off limits to God, off limits to the Holy Spirit, off limits to this process of sanctification. In other words, we kind of look, when it, when it comes to personality, and we said this, personality, first of all, or the origin of personality is you and I, our personalities are reflective, first of all, of what has been patterned into our life by our parents, right? In other words, what our parents lived, what they taught us, their attitudes, their behaviors, their view of life, all of that, even their convictions, spiritual convictions, all of those things influenced us and created the personalities that you and I have. So one, the origin of our personality has been patterned by our parents. Number two, it's also been plagued by the past. In other words, what happens in life, we kind of get beat up and kicked around and relationships go wrong and things sometimes don't work out. And, you know, a lot of times what happens, that begins to shape and mold our personality. 
Now, what we do is, this is a lot of times what we think is, well, you know, this is just the way I am. You ever hear people say that? You ever say that? Do you ever say that when somebody looks at you and says, well, why do you do that? Or why do you behave that way? Or why do you act like that? Or somebody may even look at you and say, well, you know, that's not very Christian. And your response will be, well, that's just the way I am. That's my personality. As if that's something that God doesn't have anything to do with. In fact, we'll make those kind of statements of the way I am. It was the way I was raised. Uh, my parents raised me that way. That's just the way I've always been. And you see, what God is trying to do in your life and in my life, he's, he's in the process, hagiosmos, that Greek word for sanctification, it has that little word hagios, holy. God is in the process of chipping away everything in our life, and listen to this, in our personalities that does not look like who? That does not look like Jesus. Let's say it together. Let's say his name. Jesus. So everything in my personality, everything that I sometimes want to excuse and simply say, well, that's just the way I am, God is in the process of remolding that personality, shaping it and conforming it so that you and I look, begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. That is critical. And then we looked last week, at this, uh, we looked at Peter. We not only looked at the origin of personality, we looked at uh, the overhaul of Peter because Peter's personality was the exact opposite of Jesus. You know, he was a rough, tough, mean fisherman, foul mouth. I mean, he just simply was not the picture of the kind of church leader that you and I would choose to be a, to be a pillar of the early New Testament church. Jesus had his work cut out when he began to work in the life of Peter. And we basically said this, and last week I told you, I said, uh, you know, buckle your pew belts. When you hear me say that, or I say, listen closely, or tedadai, which is the word the Shona people would use in Africa and Zimbabwe when they said, listen closely. Peter had a problem in his personality, and number one, it was due to the fact that Peter leaned on Peter. Peter trusted Peter. He didn't trust anybody else. You see, Peter was kind of a pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps. He was a man's man. He was just the kind of guy who said, you know, at the end of the day, the only one I trust is me. Peter leaned on Peter. That, the word trust means to do this. It means to lean or to rest. If you're trusting and leaning on Jesus, this is the picture. You're resting on him. So Peter didn't lean on Jesus, and Peter didn't lean on anybody else. Peter tended to lean on himself, and that was the way his personality was. He was a fisherman. He was a rough man. And you and I need to understand that when we... Listen, Matthew 26, Luke 22, every time that Jesus would warn Peter, Peter, this is getting ready to happen. You need to be prepared. Peter, Simon, Simon. He, had, he, he dresses him by his old name, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked that he might sift you, but I sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you come through this, strengthen your brothers. You know what, Peter? Peter doesn't even listen to Jesus, doesn't even listen to the warnings of Jesus, doesn't even take that spiritual counsel. Immediately that personality comes up, that man's man, and says, I'm not going to deny you. All the rest of these old goons may do it, but not me. I'm by you to the end. I'll die before I do that. You see, when you and I are leaning on ourselves... When our personality just tends to be us trusting and believing and leaning only on us, then we don't listen. We're unteachable. Peter was unteachable. Jesus couldn't teach Peter nothing because Peter would not listen. 
Because Peter didn't listen, Peter leaned on himself. Sometimes, and I made this statement, I want you to listen closely. I wrote this down, God will send a storm in your life and in my life that you and I cannot navigate, we cannot manipulate, we cannot handle. Why? Because God is forcing us to look outside of ourselves and look to his resources. We saw that today in the Sunday school lesson. Peter leaned on Peter, and Peter learned from Peter. Listen, when you and I do not listen to the Word of God, we do, we do not listen to the spiritual counselors and those leaders in our life, when you and I reject that, then guess what? The only thing that's going to happen to us is life is going to kick us around and beat us up, and we're going to learn some of the spiritual lessons that God is trying to teach us. We're going to learn them by way of life, and life is really tough, isn't it? You, hey, listen, let me give you an example. You can either listen to this book and follow the wisdom of this spiritual leader and those people within this congregation who teach you and seek to lead, you staff, deacons, Sunday school teachers. You can either follow that spiritual wisdom in your finances or you can reject God's word, reject God's counsel, and you can let life beat you up and learn it the hard way. Either way, what God is going to do is God is trying to conform your personality and my personality into the picture of his son. Now today, in 2 Corinthians, we're going to see the purpose of suffering. Are you ready? In other words, what is God trying to do through the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties in my life? Now, 2 Corinthians is like Paul's autobiography. I love this book. When I'm down or when I'm discouraged as a pastor, I always go to 2 Corinthians. This is a great book for you to spend some time in this week. Paul is just, he sent a letter to Corinth. This church, that, well, he, this church was like a problem child. Have you ever looked at the Bible and said, ooh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians? You start looking at all these other books, say, ooh, these are kind of short letters. And then all of a sudden you come to these big books, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And it's like Paul is spending an enormous amount of time trying to straighten out this church. In fact, Paul even wrote what they called the severe letter that was so severe we don't even have a copy of it. He just alludes to it. This was Paul's problem church. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Titus has come back, and Titus is coming back, and he's all excited. He says, Paul, listen, the church at Corinth is repentant. They're broken. I think they got it. Okay, now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's vindicating because Paul's still having to defend the fact of his apostleship, of his leadership. Paul has gone through a lot of storms. In fact, 2 Corinthians, really, in all honesty, Paul has, will allude to the fact that he's been delivered from death. Life has really been tough right now for the Apostle Paul. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to introduce us to suffering in a whole new light. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I mean 2 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Acacia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch closely, listen to this, stay with me here. Praise be to the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he Listen, first of all, look this way real quickly. To every Jew, when he made that statement right there, they kind of sat up. Well, what did he say? Because you see, they always said, God the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he, he literally redefines in some ways 
that, that great doxology that was known by every Jew. Paul says here, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in what? In all our troubles so that we can do what? so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through, our, through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. What Paul is saying, first of all, is, and, and I love, I, I, I don't normally do this, I guess because I've been sick this week and kind of had the crud. I love John MacArthur's breakdown of this particular passage. Because MacArthur says the first thing that you see here, you see the promise of comfort itself. Isn't that great? You see, what Paul was saying here is, is Paul was saying, listen to this, God will comfort you. He won't fail you. God always comforts his people. Now that ought to be a great declaration. You know what Jesus said? I think he said in John 14, John 14, 18, Jesus said this. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. So first of all, you and I have to understand that when we're in the middle of a storm, when we're in the middle of a crisis, when things seem not to be working out in our lives, and we begin to even sense where God is, you see, that's what the enemy will do. A lot of times the enemy will convince us that God is nowhere to be found. We're going through this difficult, dark valley in our life, and we can't seem to even locate God. We go to our knees, and it sounds like it's just bouncing around off the ceiling there. And Satan is whispering in our ear, Diabolos, Satan, our enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, he's saying, listen, God is not here. So what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying God will always comfort. He uses a Greek word here, thalipsis. It's the idea of the pressures of life. And what he's saying is, now stay with me here. Everyone look this way. This is the most critical thing of all. The word comfort here means strengthened. That's what it means. Listen, it's not that God just walks up and goes, oh, bless your heart, come here. Put your head here and listen to me. That's not the picture at all. You see, our picture of comfort is for somebody to come alongside of us and to kind of pat us on the back and 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 and, and sugar booger. I'm not, it's going to get better, you know. Don't don't you know? That's our idea of comfort. But the biblical understanding is that of strengthening. That what Paul was saying here is is that God is not promising comfort. God is promising strength while you're going through the trial. Does that make sense? James 1.3 says, Count it all joy when you fall into... Listen to that. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience, perseverance. The word patience, perseverance means this. Paul Anderson was the strongest man in the world. And I don't know if he still holds a uh, Guinness Book of World Records as the strongest man. 
Paul Anderson became a Christian, a powerful man of God. He would go to high schools, and he had a table, a large table that was a big, massive oak table. And this table weighed an unbelievable amount. And Paul Anderson would get up and he would pick that table up. And then he would look out in a packed audience of students and faculty and teachers. He'd say, I want any of you that would like to come, come up here, and I want you to get on this table. And man, listen, kids would begin to get on it, you know, the the headmaster, the principal, and before long you'd see this table with just this mass of children and faculty on it. And then you'd see that big strong man. He could lift over 5,000 pounds. He would come up under that thing and then massive shoulders and all of a sudden you'd see that table begin to rise. You see, that's the picture of what James was saying in James 1.3. He says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. And, and it's, it's the same biblical idea is what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying, listen, God is not going to necessarily remove you from your trial, your suffering, or your difficulty. Now, you're not going to hear that from Benny Hinn. You may not hear that from Creflo Dollar. In fact, you're probably not going to hear that from a lot of the TV preachers. Because their idea is simply this. Listen, if you're suffering, if things are going wrong in your life, you either lack faith or you're doing something wrong. You see, what Paul was saying is that God promises you and I comfort. He promises us strength in the middle of our suffering. It's not necessarily that he's going to remove us. And that is critical for you and I to understand. God may not remove you from the situation that you are in right now. He may allow it to continue for a period in your time of time because he is in the process, listen, of strengthening your faith and your relationship with him. And all God's people said, oh no. We don't like that. When we get into difficulties, when life begins to hit us, things begin to go wrong in our life, we look up toward God. First of all, we say, my goodness, what have I done? Or either we look toward God and we say, God, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this mess. And God's saying, no, I've orchestrated this because I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm going to strengthen you. Is God the author of it? Absolutely not. But he will use it because all things work together for good. Do you really believe that? So there's the promise of comfort. Secondly, there's the purpose of comfort. Look again at verse 4. Because he says, who comforts us? God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What is God kind of trying to do? Listen, what God is trying to do in your life and my life, He's strengthening us. He's giving us something that we in turn are able to give to others. I wrote this down. Paul said, we can join God in His work. Listen to this quote. This comfort is not merely, please listen, this comfort is not merely for my benefit. This comfort is not merely for my benefit. This strengthening 
is God's act of stewardship a trust not merely for my benefit, my comfort, my strength. God is not trying to get a blessing to you. He's not trying to get comfort to you. God's not trying to get strength to you. God's trying to get comfort and strength through you to other people. That's what he's trying to do. That's part of the purpose. You see, God is strengthening you and I in order that in time we can do what? We can strengthen other people. You see, the danger sometimes in our life is when we get in the middle of a problem or a situation, we begin to take on a victim mentality. We begin all of a sudden to say, well, it's all about me. I'm a victim. Poor old me. We never take responsibility. We never repent. We, never, we just excuse it. We just simply say, listen, I'm a victim of circumstances. My friend, God's not called you to be a victim. He's called you to be a victor. You and I, listen, will never be able to assist and equip and comfort and strengthen other people until we first put aside that victim mentality and we begin to just embrace the fact that God is trying to strengthen us so that we can be a part of the ministry. You see, sometimes we get bitter. We get bitter over the past. Picross, this Greek word, picross, sticky anger. We get angry about things that have happened in the past. And before long, it's like Charles Stanley said this word, picross, is like sticky. It's like a sticky, smelly ointment. When you and I become bitter over the past, then the reality is when we become bitter, when we become a victim, then before long, everywhere we go, it just, it, just, it, just, it just flows off of us. Stanley made this statement, it would be like you being covered in a stinky, smelly ointment, and even after you leave the room, it still smells. You see, God is trying, God, listen, is the God of all comfort. What God is doing, God is saying this, Paul was saying this, he's saying, listen, God will comfort his people. There's the promise of comfort. But there's also the purpose of it. God is in the process of strengthening you and I so that we can in turn strengthen others. I love this quote. John MacArthur made this statement. I thought it was so good. He said, your life is a conduit of comfort and strength to others. Chris is a, a commercial electrician. It's good to see his parents here with him today. Johnny is a commercial electrician. Men who understand electricity understand that word conduit. You see, what MacArthur was saying is, is that your life and my life is, listen, a conduit. It is simply a, a, a wire that takes from the source and puts it to the need. That we are just simply a conduit of God's strength and, and, uh, and, his, and his comfort. In Luke twenty two thirty one, let me go back to that. Because in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He begins to talk about the cross. The disciples don't like it. Peter says, as, as Jesus is beginning to talk, Peter, because you can just see him, get, old fisherman, you know, man, this ain't about to happen, not, not while I'm here. I mean, Peter was shadow boxing. You know, he was getting ready, boy, checking his knives. You know, checking to make sure he had his 38. I mean, Peter was checking all his, 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 his arsenal, getting everything ready. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon. It's kind of like your parent when they look at you and use your full name. Oh, Jeffrey Rothel Parker. Mm. Simon, Simon. Satan, listen to this. Satan has asked. Isn't that great? 
You know, Satan goes about like a roaring lion, but he's on God's chain, isn't he? Did you hear that? Satan goes about like a roaring lion, but he's on God's chain. And you know what God will do? He's like a bad dog. You know what God will do? I'll never forget, Ledge is a, when I, I had a bad dog. And Ledge said, Dad, you just got to get control of that dog. It's all about control, Dad. He said, let me have that dog. And that dog was the worst dog I've ever seen in my life. And all of a sudden, I looked out there. In five minutes, I looked out the bay window, and there's Ledge walking back and forth in front of the bay window. That dog just perfect like he had been trained his whole life. And every once in a while, that dog would kind of make a move, and Ledge pull that chain back, pull that, keep his head up. And, you know, listen, you and I need to understand something. Satan may go about like a roaring lion. Hollywood may paint him for a lot bigger than he is, but he's on God's chain. Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, listen to me. Satan is asked. Satan is asked to sift you. That means that Satan is asked to put you through the rigors. Satan is asked to test you. Satan is asked to tempt you. But, and, and, but I, listen to this, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Now, faith is the prize. You see, that's what the enemy's always going after when you and I are in difficulties, when we're in situations, when there are trials and tribulations, when things are not working right in our life. What happens is, is that Satan is not only whispering in our ear, God is not here, God is not in control, and maybe there's no God at all. You see, that's the way the enemy... The enemy is attacking your faith. That's the prize that he's after. Jesus told Peter, he said, I pray that your faith will not fail, and when you've come through this... Now, Christ is the mediator here. He's the one praying. He says, now, Peter, when you've come through this, you strengthen, you comfort, you be a conduit of my strength, my courage, my comfort into those men that are all around you, Peter. You see, what Jesus was saying, Peter, you're going to get hard, you're going to fail, you're going to have to repent, but when you come through this, you strengthen everyone else around you, Peter. You know what David said in Psalm 51 after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, after the killing of Uriah? You know what David said? He said, oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then David said this, create in me a clean heart, O God. And then David said these words, God, if you'll just restore me, if you'll put the song back in my heart, God, if you'll begin to do some things in my life, God, if I could just hear your voice once again. David said, then I will go out and I will teach transgressors thy ways. You see, there's a purpose in suffering. Now I need you to put on your spiritual antennas, put them up real high. You got them up high? Say amen. Listen to this. Only God can comfort and give strength. Did you hear that? Only God can comfort and give strength. You and I are only the conduit. We are only, listen, we are only, we are the conduit of God's comfort. In other words, this is not my strength, it's not my comfort. Because if I was trying to comfort people and give them my comfort, my strength, then I would fail. What I'm doing is I'm simply giving them what I've experienced. 
God has been through, God through the power of his Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter that comes alongside of me, that's the word for Holy Spirit, paraclete, comforter who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit is in me now. The Holy Spirit is all around me. It is as if Jesus has wrapped his arms around me. He fills me with his spirit. He gives me comfort in the midst of unbelievably difficult situations. Why is he doing that? Because one day I'm going to run into somebody else and they may be sitting there with a 38 to their head, maybe ready to end their life and you go, whoa, wait a minute let me tell you God got me through the same situation. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you what happened. You see, God will use your suffering and my suffering to minister to other people who were where we were once at, at one time in our life. And all God's people said You see, and this is what Paul was saying. Paul says it this way. He says, my suffering is for you, and your suffering is for me. You may be here right now, and you're struggling in finance, struggling in marriage, struggling with uh, raising your children. Your heart may be breaking right now over a situation in your life, and you may say, I just don't understand because God has not given me an answer yet. Maybe God is allowing you to remain in that because he wants you to experience his comfort, his strength. Because let me tell you, there was a time in my life when I went through the darkest night of my soul, I literally didn't think I was going to make it. And I can tell you this much, at this moment in my life, and it hadn't been that many years ago, in New York City, I literally thought about walking away from this church, my family, and everything. It was a dark night of the soul, a deep moment with God. And there came a point that I just simply said, God, I don't understand what you're doing. It was a deep, deep hurt in my life that I'd never come to terms with. And I thought, God, what are you doing? Why now? Why after all these years? Why would you bring that back to mind? And my friend, God walked me through the deepest, darkest time in my entire life. And it wasn't no time to somebody that I love was walking through the same deep, dark valley. And it was as if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's why, son, you could not have ministered to that man had you not understood his pain and his hurt and his suffering. Bob Smith said, when Bob Jr., Bob Smith, uh, Brother Jones, it's good to have you here today, preacher friend here. Um, Bob Smith is is an evangelist who lives in Dallas. He's a He's a man who's blind. He has been here and spoken on occasions. Bob Smith lost his oldest son, Bob Jr., in a motorcycle accident. His, other, his daughter was on that same motorcycle, spent about three months in, in, uh, in the hospital. Bob said that there were times that he literally, he can remember a time, Betty is a college professor. Betty walked into a bathroom and banged her head on the wall at the death of Bob Jr. She said, oh God, what are you doing? Bob said he went at one point, a very smart, brilliant man, great man of God. He laid on the grave of Bob Jr., his son, laying out on the grave. And he said, oh God, you did it once. You can do it again. God, raise him up. God, I don't understand. Why would you take my boy? God, why would you take my boy? until the phone rang a few weeks later and a voice came on that phone. She said, Bob, this is so-and-so, the lady in the church. She said, my boy's gone. She said, my boy was just killed in a car accident. Oh, Bob. 
And Bob said it was as if God wrapped his arms around him and said, Bob, that's why I was bringing you through that, so you could strengthen others. You see, that's the purpose of suffering. But then in verse 5, he talks about the perimeters of it. You say, the, the, that's the purpose of suffering. You, you say, well, what, are the, what do you mean perimeters? What are the boundaries by which God will comfort? Listen, God doesn't, listen to this. Everyone look this way. God does not always comfort you in your suffering. He said, well, wait a minute. I thought you said God always comforts. When your suffering comes as a result of sin, God's not going to comfort you. Now, you stay with me here. This is important. Verse 5, look at it. In verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Well, what do you mean? God's comfort, Paul said, extends to our suffering for the cause of Christ, for righteousness' sake. You see, God comforts us not for sin, but for but for righteousness. Let me give you an example. Take a, take a right and go to 1 Peter 4. And we'll close in a few minutes, but I want you to see this. 1 Peter, Peter chapter 4. It's all the way back over the Hebrew James. You'll keep going over there and you'll finally get to 1 Peter. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12, I believe that's right. Let me see. Okay, listen to, listen to verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the Spirit of glory and for God rest on you. You. Do you see that? Look at verse 13 again. Did you see that? But rejoice that you participate in his suffering. Did Jesus ever suffer for sin? What? It's not a trick question, people. It's a theological truth. Yes, Dwayne, that's right. Jesus never suffered for sin. Jesus suffered for righteousness. Blessed are you. you know, the Bible talks about suffering for the sake of righteousness. You see, you and I have to understand the perimeters of God's comfort is this comfort is not for sin and rebellion against God. What Peter was saying, he was saying that God's comfort comes when you and I are doing righteous acts when we are about the kingdom of God. You may say, well, well now wait a minute. You mean that when I've, when I've sinned, when I've done wrong, when I've rebelled against God, that God won't comfort me? Look this way. Yes, that's what I mean until you and I repent. You see, he told Peter, he said, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked that he might sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and when you've come through this, Simon, you strengthen your brothers. Simon's sitting at a fireside, profane, foul mouth, cursing, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, blankety-blank. Then the Bible says this, it said that he went out and he did what? He wept how? He wept bitterly. It was at that point when he was repentant that God began to comfort him. And in John 21, God ultimately would comfort him. You see, sometimes God can't comfort us. People say all the time, well, you know, well, wait a minute. Where is God? I haven't experienced God's comfort. Maybe it's because your suffering is due to sin. Maybe it's due to rebellion in your life. Maybe it is sin that you have refused to repent of and the outcome is, is that God can't comfort you. He can't comfort me. Listen, until I repent, 
That is critical for you and I to understand, and most of us don't want to hear it. You remember the story years ago. I was telling a story about a little boy. A man, man was walking through a city park, and he came, and this little boy was crying. And he looked out, and he began to understand that what happened, the little boy's boat had gotten out into the lake too far. And so uh, the man just, he pulled his, his, you know, pulled his suit jacket off, and he laid it to the side. And he reached down, and he told the little boy, he said, son, I'll get your boat back. And he picked up a handful of rocks, and he began to throw them. And he was throwing them to the other side of the boat. Well, the boy began to cry. The boy began to say, sir, you're going to sink my boat. You're going to hit my boat. You're going to ruin my boat. And, 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 and the man just said, son, just trust me. Just trust me. And that man kept throwing rocks. And what do you think was happening? He was creating waves on the other side of that boat, boat, and he was in the process of pushing that boat back into the hands of the owner of it. You see, sometimes God brings suffering into our life, heartache, tribulations, because we've drifted away from God, and God's trying to bring us back where? He's trying to bring us back within his hands. Listen, he cannot comfort and strengthen you and I to continue to live in rebellion against him. He won't do that. Some of us are saying, well, God doesn't comfort me. I haven't experienced that comfort. Maybe it's because we've never come to the point of repentance and just simply saying, you know, God, I understand now what you're doing in in my suffering. For others in this room... For others in this room, this suffering, this persecution, this tribulation, these things that you may be going through, listen, are aimed at Christ. You remember when Paul was struck down on the Damascus Road? Do you remember that scene? And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. You and I are in the body of Christ. We have an enemy. It's not just simply a matter of Satan. We live in a fallen world, a sin-filled world. This world is in opposition to everything you and I stand for. If you find yourself getting along with the world, then there's a problem. Now, what Paul was saying here, what Paul was saying in Colossians 1.24, what Paul says in Colossians 1.24, he says, I'm taking what they mean for Christ... And I'm glad to do so, the suffering, the tribulation, the, the things that they're aiming at Christ, and I'm taking that, and I'm taking that on myself. Listen, Satan still hates our enemy. Listen, Satan still hates his enemy, Christ, and so guess who he's going to take it out on? Us. This is what Paul was alluding here. In the Passion of Christ, I'll never forget the movie by Mel Gibson. And I remember going, to the, there were people that dropped dead of heart attacks in this movie. It was unbelievable. It packed out, there were people everywhere. We went into a theater that was packed full. I remember watching The Passion of Christ, and when they were literally beating Jesus, I wanted to, I was so much into the movie that I wanted to jump up and say, I wanted to jump up and do something. And I thought to myself, like you've thought many times, if I had been there, I would have done something. Have you ever thought that? Let me tell you something. Nobody in this room would have done nothing. We would have done exactly the same thing the disciples did, exactly the same thing that the people did. That song, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone and All the World Go Free? No, there's a cross for everyone. There's a cross for me. You see, you and I have to understand that God, listen, God will not coddle 
or condone your sin or my sin. He won't comfort us when we are living in rebellion to him, and he won't listen. He won't strengthen us. But when you and I are in the will of God, living righteous lives, and begin to suffer the persecution, begin to suffer, listen, God is simply saying, hey, that was meant for my son anyway. You're just in the way, you're in the line of fire. Last thing is, is the partnership of suffering. Look what he says in 6 and 7. He says, if we are distressed, it is for whose comfort? For your comfort and salvation, your deliverance. If we're comforted, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you. There it is again, exactly what James said in James 1, 3, and 4. That it produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. You see... When you go through a difficulty or I go through a difficulty, we ought to look around as a body of believers and we ought to say, this is for each other. If you've gone through hurt and you've gone through pain, some of you in this room have gone through great heartache, great pain. Some of you have gone through a broken relationship, a broken marriage. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have a sick child. Some of you are dealing with health issues right now. Some of you are dealing with financial problems. Some of you are in the process of losing a job. You're trying to, you're, you're, you've lost your job. You're trying to find a job right now. Some of you right now are dealing with great difficulties, great, great heartache. And listen to me. Hear me closely. It is for all of us that you are strengthened and comforted to go through that because we need you to be stronger in your faith than you were before. Did you hear that? The church is a body of believers. It's a partnership. Paul was saying this, and I'll close with this. He says, I know you're going to be all right, though you're suffering. Christ will strengthen you and you and in, Christ will strengthen you, and in turn, you will bless us. Does that make sense? You see, you may say, God, I, I don't understand why this is happening. God, I don't understand why you haven't delivered me. And it may be that you're in this room right now and you're struggling even with your own self. And you may, you, may, you, know, you may be battling with things in your own heart, in your own life, in your own mind. You may be dealing with the past. You may be right now struggling with something right now, and you say, God, I don't understand. Why have you not delivered me? Why have you not brought me through this? God is bringing you through it. And I want you to understand this. He will comfort. He will strengthen. And in time, he will deliver. And you may say, well, it doesn't seem like it right now. My friend, that is the enemy. Don't listen to the enemy. God is trying to comfort and strengthen you because one day God is going to raise you up for a ministry that you never thought of. I, I've said it a lot of times. I remember when I met her and I remember when we began to date. I remember exactly where I was when she began to tell me about her first marriage. I didn't know she had been married before. I didn't know she was married to somebody that dealt in drugs. I didn't know that that person was killed. She began, and I could tell she was, she was just very timid as she began to share those things with me. It was like somebody taking a knife and just jabbing it, twisting it in me. But I want you to know something. I've seen her on the same platform that the governor's wife was on 
sharing her testimony. I've seen her testimony shared in deacons getting saved. I've seen her share testimony in a pastor's wife get saved. I've seen her share testimony in Africa and Zimbabwe. I've seen her in Kenya. I've seen her in, in England. I've seen her in the United States. I've seen God take her pain, her suffering, her hurt, and I've seen God not only strengthen her through it, but God turn right around and use my wife to strengthen and encourage other women who were where she was. That's what God's purpose in your hurt and your pain is right now. Because one day, you're going to look and you're going to see in somebody's eyes, she does it all the time. She'll, she, we can be in a strange restaurant, waitress come over, Sheila look at me and say, she's hurting, she's abused, she's being hurt, she's in, a, she's in, a, she's in an abusive relationship, and Sheila will immediately begin to minister. You see why? Because her pain has tuned her in to people with like pain. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. And dear Lord, in this room, I know there are people that are hurting. I know there are people, dear Lord, that are suffering. And I don't know what the problems may be in their life, but Lord, I know that in the, whatever storm we face, that you have a purpose and a plan. I know, dear Lord, there are people in this room who look back at their past, or, and Lord, there is so much pain. I know there are people in this room that are suffering right now. They are in a, they may be in a marriage, they may be in a relationship right now that they just, they just say, God, uh, it's just draining me, there's nothing left. There are people in this room, dear Lord, that are parenting, but they're tired. There are people in this room that have grown children that are just grieving their heart. Seems like they take a few steps forward and they go back a bunch. There are people in this room right now that are dealing with alcohol and dealing with drugs. People in this room right now, dear Lord, that feel like they're carrying the weight of the world. There are people in this room right now that the enemy's been whispering everything in their ear. You're not, you're not a Christian. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. Is there a God at all? There are people in this room, dear Lord, that are listening to the voice of the enemy instead of fixing their eyes on Jesus. You will keep in perfect peace, Isaiah 26, 3 says, him whose mind is steadfast because it trusts in you. He trusts in you. Lord, there are people in this room that everything's going right in their life right now. But it won't always be going right. Storms will come. Tribulations will hit. Pains will come. There'll be a lot of times, dear Lord, when we don't understand. But may we understand this, that you comfort us and you promise that you will always comfort us. Lord, there are people in this room that there may be sin, there may be rebellion, and they don't have the comfort of you right now if they'll just repent, if they'll just simply say, Lord, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I disobeyed your word, I rebelled against you, God, I, I ask you to forgive me. And immediately may they feel that comfort, that strength. God, there are people in this room that you want to use, but they're hard. 
trials and the tribulations, the struggles, the difficulties of life have hardened them. Uh, they're either hardened because they've gotten bitter, because of the past, or they're just hard. I meet preachers, dear Lord. I meet, I meet so many men in ministry, men and women in ministry that have grown hard and cold and they don't feel anymore. They've put up a wall. They've made it where nobody will ever hurt me again. I can understand that. But when we do that, we rob ourselves of all of the blessings of God using our pain to minister to others. So God, I pray, dear Lord, today that you speak to hearts and if there's a man or a woman, first of all, there's one here that is not a Christian, that they would give their life to you today and begin this journey of faith, taking that first step, putting their hands in the hands of Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm ready. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. May they once in that moment experience the paraclete, the comforter, for others in this room, maybe it's to unite and be a part of this church, plant their life here. For others, it may be to recommit, rededicate, or to come to this altar, spend a moment in prayer. God, speak to us today, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.